Hi. Hello. Hi, I'm Marissa. I am a teen librarian. Hello, I'm Mary. I'm a sort of teen librarian. We're here to talk about books. What kind of books? Young adult books, middle grade books, kids books, graphic novels, audiobooks, LGBTQIA, and a whole bunch more. So come jam with us. On the book jam, because that's our name. We're the book jam. Ha ha. <laughs> now, Mary, if people have questions for us or want to reach out, or if you're an author listening and you think we're awesome or terrible, where can they go? Uh, sure. So you can follow us on Twitter at the Book Jam One. Uh, we should pop up. We have an awesome little graphic of jar of jam that's rainbow colors that says the Book Jam. Find us there. Yay. We actually thought of our title before we hit record, which never happens. So our theme this week, or, well, it's not really theme. Our title is Facts and Spoopy Books, because it's a weird mix. But sure, let's go with it. So I'll start. So I read Kent State, Four Dead in Ohio, which is a graphic novel by Durf Backdurf. So if that name sounds familiar, it's because he's also the dude behind um my friend Dahmer and trashed which are both great graphic novels and i think my friend Dahmer is actually a movie now which i haven't seen but it's very good i love the graphic novel it's amazing he has a very distinctive art style i've read both those books never into seeing the movie of the books based on but i thankfully i read these before so i already know exactly what the art looks like in my yeah head. like my brother and i had talked about this too when i had read kent state when we were talking about it in that he has a style is very reminiscent of political cartoons and I think that's yes. just because he, I think he actually did political talk cartoons for the Akron Beacon, is it Journal or Herald, one of the two in Akron, Ohio. So he kind of has that type of style, but it's also kind of interesting and different from a lot of the YA stuff that we're used to. And this is a book that I would totally have, like give to teens to read that are interested in like actual historical events. But I feel like the kids that are interested in historical fiction are also you can usually be like, oh, hey, I found this really great narrative nonfiction that you can read. And this is that type of book in graphic novel form. And it's amazing. So I'm just going to read the publisher's description really quickly. On May 4, 1970, the Ohio National Guard gunned down unarmed college students protesting the Vietnam War at Kent State University. In a deadly barrage of 67 shots, four students were killed and nine shot and wounded. It was the day America turned guns on its own children. A shocking event burned into our national memory. A few days prior, 10-year-old Durf Backdurf saw those same guardsmen patrolling his nearby hometown, sent in by the governor to crush a trucker strike. Using the journalism skills he employed on My Friend Dahmer and Trashed, Backdurf has conducted an has conducted extensive interviews and research to explore the lives of these four young people and events of those four days in May when the country seemed on the brink of tearing apart. Kent State, Four Dead in Ohio, which will be published in time for the 50th anniversary of the tragedy, is a moving and troubling story about the bitter price of dissent as relevant today as it was in 1970. This actually was pushed for publishing because of the pandemic, but it was slated to come out then. It's really good, and the way it's framed, I also really appreciate. So, four students were killed, and the names of those four students are Allison Krauss, Jeffrey Miller, Sandra Schur, and William Schroeder. Um, and the story that he does, it's it's it starts on May 1st, 1970, mm -hmm. through the perspective of those four students. And you see the National Guard coming in. The National Guard is also has their story told a little bit, too. 
so it has all of these narratives like interwoven to give you like this really comprehensive overview. Um, and I think it's probably the best thing I've read that's really accessible for like young adults. It's not a young adult graphic novel. I think it's just a graphic novel that's just out there. It's, it, it's more pitched okay. for adults, but I would totally give it to a teen who's looking into issues of social justice and dissent because that's what this is. So May 4th was originally supposed to be this protest against like the Vietnam War and the very first panel I want to say it has a couple of students like walking by and like watching this protest that was happening with like these history students and they're like we're gonna have a protest on May 4 they're like sure at this point it's like it's 1970 protests are tiring I guess you would say but with the the National Guard showing up because before like I think it's on like May 2nd the state patrol gets called in instead and they just bust a lot of heads in downtown Kent and even to this day there are Kent State citizens that are still really hate students because of the, and have like a real negative view really? of this it became a very us versus them kind of narrative which I think we're kind of familiar with right now with our all of mm-hmm. our political turmoil that's going on and the social justice issues that we have background I got my master's so I got my MLS at Kent State and I actually worked in the special collections in archives department and which has a huge May 4 Kent State uh, collection so I got to work with that and work with researchers on it. So I, I have more than like the average layman about what happened. But at the same time, I'm also smart enough to be like, oh, I don't know if I know the complete story of that. Let me go do a reference check so I don't tell you the wrong thing. Because there's a lot of moving pieces to the story. And there's also a lot of conspiracy theories that came out of the May 4 shooting, which I haven't actually explained. May 4, we get these National Guard that have come in to the town. Well, actually, they came in on the 3rd. And... The, the fear is that the protests are going to get out of control. And so the National Guard's called in. But it turns out, I think it's on the second or the third. I'm not remembering my timeline. Again, it would be better if I had my book. The students set fire to the ROTC building on campus. And that caused a huge problem. Like, like the National Guard was also tear gassing people. Like, there's just all this stuff going on. The hilarious part is there's a great scene in the book where Allison Krauss and her boyfriend are looking out their dorm window. They have a view of the ROTC building and the students are trying to set it on fire. And it takes them like over an hour for the fire to actually catch. <laughs> it's very of its time. Yeah. And so anyway, <laughs> what people didn't realize is that the ROTC building also had like live ammunition in it. So like when it finally caught and it went off, it really went off with a bang because it also like a shooting range in the basement. Well, no, this is, it's an ROTC building. Like they're training you to be, you know, when you get your, you go through the whole ROTC thing that you also will be an officer in some form of the military at some point. And one of the students that was killed actually was in the ROTC program and had kind of second thoughts about it because he's like, when I graduate, I'm probably going to be sent to Vietnam and I can't get out of it. Because it's, it's 1970. Mm. We're not in a part of the war where people are like, yes, let's sign up for it. We're in a part of the war where people are just like, you know, people are going and not coming back because they're dying. So it's very scary. And so also Nixon's in the White House and he's paranoid about stuff. Um, the, the book also gets into how the students, uh, the SDS, the Students for a Democratic Society, were on Kent State, but the leaders of it were arrested the year before. So there's all this paranoia that with this protest, those leaders that have been freed from jail are going to come back to campus. They didn't. They went to New York City and one of them actually died trying to make bombs. 
but what this book's able to do is it's able to show you like how frustrated the National Guard was, the Guardsmen were too. But you're not really sympathetic towards the Guardsmen. And I don't really feel like you should be because they fired on Americans. They had been on the labor strike thing for like however many days and none of them had gotten any sleep. So they haven't gotten really what good sleep. And then you put them in a powder keg situation. Maybe their leadership wasn't so great. That was also a problem because you have people that are trying to prove stuff as opposed to thing in tense situations it was a whole like like i said it was a literal powder keg of problems and so when you read it it's just really great it goes into all of those stories and it also talks about terry norman who was an fbi student mole um and there's always been a question okay. about whether terry norman actually fired the shot that got the national guard to fire on students that's another conspiracy theory about what happened. But when you read this book, you have the comic and it lays it out really well. Um, the artwork is fantastic. Backdorf did a great job of going to Kent and like working with the research materials and walking the grounds and looking at the photographs. Cause I was like, oh yeah, I used to walk past there to go to class all the time. Like he does a great job with that. But also the part of what makes this book for me so much is that it's so easy to carry these parallels back to our current day situation, but he also gives you so much more information in the back data. So when you're reading the book, if you go, if you flip to the back, each page number, he actually has a citation of where he got this information, but he also explains more context than what's going on in the page um, that he's illustrated. And it's really cool because he gives you way more background information about things like why the town and why the government of Ohio, state government of Ohio, as well as Richard Nixon, are so paranoid about the SDS. He explains things like the SDS has a radical left group called the Weatherman, which I don't know if you're familiar with. They blew up a bunch of stuff. Yeah, no. they're horrible. So they blew up a bunch of things. And so there's always that fear of like, oh, are the are the weathermen going to come to town? So like it's which is warranted to a certain extent. And you think about how how afraid certain people are today of like protests and looting. And it's just like we had social media. They did not. So can you imagine how much worse it would be today with the rampant viral social media? Because there would be so many cell phone videos of of this happening and just like. And the ROTC building going up on flames and the National Guard tear gassing people and, you know, arresting people and just all kinds of stuff. It's just like it, it, people are asking themselves for the first time, how can this happen on American soil? Meanwhile, hmm. one of the things you can kind of like pull into play, because Durf, Backdurf does talk about that the black students for the Black Student Union mm -hmm. did not go to the protest. They actually told everybody like, hey, this isn't going well because they had been paying attention and they were like at OSU earlier in the the month before there was a protest where the national guard came in and just beat the crap out of students and so they kind of had already taken the temperature of the water also being you know black student activists they were just like no we're sitting this one out that's the smart yeah they, they were more aware possibly of the consequences right and, because they don't have that white yeah. privilege so they, they you know can yeah. get beaten up and you know i'm sorry black people get killed all the time by police and it's just it's a thing that happens in this country and it's been going on for the start of our country right so yeah <laughs> went on then it went on it goes right on so i think there was only there is one black student activist that shows up and he's actually featured in it but like the most of them like they did not have a presence they're like no we're not going to deal with this this isn't like no we're not dealing with it but um i will say with national guard being on campus one of the things that they do talk about is there are people like jeffrey miller who had been a student activist when he was at a different college and he had transferred to kent and he wasn't really like he, had, he had done like the protests and stuff, but he hadn't really since Kent. But what radicalized him 
was the National Guard being on campus and just like giving everybody so much grief and hell. Like it took him a couple of hours to get back to his home, which was a couple blocks away one night because they had the National Guard out patrolling and like helicopters and they were tear gassing a lot of everybody in the streets. And so that was just like, he was so mad because he was just like, this is ridiculous. I'm going to go protest. Getting back to my whole point, Backdrift does kind of bring in that whole idea of white privilege which obviously goes away once everybody is like this is this is the first time technically that the military has like fired on uh white students so it's that whole like it could happen to you and then after after kent state there's the shootings in jackson state i believe which Mm -hmm. is in the south so it starts off this whole thing and it's just like it's still a very polarizing event. And if like you ever go to Kent State, definitely go to the go to the Kent State Visitor Center because they have all of this stuff that explains it and it's like really well done and it's so much. But like I said, part of what makes this book is totally the back data, which gives you like context and whatnot, because you know, there's the there's the visitor center, there's books that have been written. There are also there's an archive. There's an archive at Yale that has stuff because the families didn't want things to be kept at Kent State, the families of the victims. And then Kent State also has its own special collections archive around May 4. And there's also an oral history project too that has several interviews with people that were there from like community people that live there to students, to professors. Um, They've even gotten like some National Guard. I think there's one National Guard person that came and he's totally like you don't know who his name, what his name is. They've done all this stuff. So there's a wealth of information. So being able to kind of go through all that and create a comprehensive story is pretty amazing because there's just so many rabbit holes you could just kind of go down if that makes any sense. This is a well-researched nonfiction graphic novel that takes into account the emotional impact of this event at that location and also for this country. So it sounds like a really good read. Now, my question, I know you had said this is actually an adult graphic novel, Mary. How young do you think could read it? Because you've read and seen the, because graphic novels, like reading about violence and then seeing images, it can be different for different people. How young a reader, like grade nine? Uh, Probably probably grade nine, because I mean, we know the story is going to end in people shot. He's not like, gory with it if anything you see. but yeah. we have photographs of the of the of the shootings that happened too so yeah so this is kind of the second book that's come out in the past year to young adults like i said it's technically an adult graphic novel but because it's a historical book you could totally yeah any high school kid can read this book and it's fine there's another one that came out that's just called kent state that's a novel in verse i read that because originally i was like oh i'll read both of these and talk about like this one versus this one i didn't like the kent state one because i felt like part of what makes this story really good not like well like informative and a a good a well-told story is the context that comes behind it and i read the backdrop one first and then i read the kent state in verse and i was just like i can't imagine giving this to a kid and who has no context for this event and just them being able to follow it because it's like several voices talking at the same time and you kind of have to suss it out. And I have a pretty good background in it, but I'm also 41 years old and I've, you know, I worked in the special collections. I've, I've read articles, I've read books on this. I, of course I know about it, but like, I wouldn't give this to like a 14 year old, you know what I'm saying? So that would, so I feel like this also would, like I feel like the Backdrift book is a better book because it, it gives you the story and then you also have all that back matter that gives you like, oh, if you want to read this actual report that, you know, this government investigation on the shooting, you can. Uh, it's right here. Here's the link to it. If you want to, it, it will also give you more context. Because I really feel like when you have these historical events, context is key 
Because if there's no context, mm. why are we even telling the story? Nothing exists in the vacuum and things that came before impacted things that are happening around it matter. And if you're like me in my high school, we always ran out of time just about in the late eighties. And that when I went to school in like the late nineties, early two thousands, and it was like, Oh, we were just missing a decade or two. That's fine. And I feel like, but we never talked about Kent state. We just said, you know, the Vietnam conflict. And like, when you get later in the year, you got to like skim through history. You're like, we got to catch up. We spent that it's good that these books are coming out, especially what to honor like 50th anniversaries. Unfortunately, the anniversary couldn't be honored in the ideal way with COVID times kind of preventing such things. But it sounds like I'm, I'm glad books are coming out now to educate. And even if the Deborah Wiles Kent State book, it sounded like it was in verse, maybe it could be an introductionary one that maybe the goal is to make them want more. But it sounds like if you want a definitive more get the facts, even if you've lived it, or if you obviously didn't, that the Kent State one by Durf Backdurf would be the one you would yeah. recommend. Oh, totally. To go I with. would always, I would recommend this one over the other one any day. Like it's yeah. just so much better. And I'm not trying to diss it, but it's just like people are going to, people are going to try and make that automatic comparison. And I'm just like, you can't, because I feel like that other book is, a, is just not as strong. Um, and this is also not coming from someone who's trying to be like, oh, I'm shooting this down. But like, you know, I've been on a book award committee and we have teen readers and I can just imagine what the teen readers would be saying if they had to read the book and be like, I don't even understand what happened <laughs> because novels in verse already sometimes can be like really easy or they can be really challenging. If they're Yeah, it's hard to know who's the voice. Is it the voice of everyone? The perfect right book in certain situations, and sometimes it's harder. Um, I've read a different nonfiction book. I can't remember the name of it. I'm not going to be able to remember it. I think it was about the White Rose Society in World War II, and I did not find that book successful at all because it, the verse format took away from enjoying of of the story, and, and it wasn't enough. And a lot of times in nonfiction, I, I don't really want a verse. So I like that the Durf Backdurf's graphic novel is so clear. I will look up the right you know, White Rose Society books. I'm like, ah, oh, no, I'm mad. Yeah, I mean, this was a start reviewed in Publishers Weekly and in Library Journal, and I think he's probably going to mm-hmm. win an Eisner for this, if not other things. So it's definitely going to be a oh, totally. kind of thing. Cool. Oh, I just remembered the name of the verse book I didn't think was so successful for the White. It was called White Rose by Kip Wilson. But yeah, so good to know that it's going to get it. So it's a future award winner. You can definitely tell with some nonfiction that you're like, this is going to get awards. This is going to get all the awards. So you're calling it now. I am. I totally am. So my question for you, Marissa, what is what is yes. your first book? Ooh. I heard you were doing a nonfiction. So I was like, I can do a nonfiction. So I have a lot to choose from. And I just finished up listening to an audiobook. It's a very long title. It's Just Mercy, Adapted for Young Adults, A True Story of the Fight for Justice by Brian Stevenson, Brian with a Y. This the initial book for adults came out in 2014 and this is the young adult version or young reader edition. Sometimes it's unclear if you say young reader or young adult. It sounds like a teen young reader could be for kids as young as grades 4 and up. This book I would say, looking at the reviewers, they were split on if they think the audience is grades 9 and up or if they think it's grades 7 and up. And there's reasons to, in the content of the book. It is a very necessary, needed nonfiction book. I'm going to read the publisher summary, but then we're gonna, I'm going to talk more about what's inside because we'll get there. 
So the official publisher summary is, in this very personal work, adapted from the original number one bestseller, which the New York Times calls, as compelling as To Kill a Mockingbird, and in some ways more so, acclaimed lawyer and social justice advocate Brian Stevenson offers a glimpse into the lives of the wrongfully imprisoned and his efforts to fight for their freedom. Stevenson's story is one of working to protect basic human rights for the most vulnerable people in America, the poor, the wrongly convicted, and those whose lives have been marked by discrimination and marginalization. Through this adaptation, young people of today will find themselves called to action and compassion in the pursuit of justice. They do make a note that proceeds of all the book will go to charity to help in Stevenson's important work to benefit the voiceless and the vulnerable as they attempt to navigate the broken U.S. justice system. So that's a big, long thing that doesn't tell you specifically, like, this is a book about this. But what my breakdown of the book is, is that Stevenson recounts his years working as a lawyer for death row inmates in the Deep South. That's a very concise way to say what he worked about. It's not so much, it's about who he's helping, but also where he's helping. And yes, he's working in the U.S. with a very challenging U.S. justice system. He was a lawyer and the founder of Equal Justice Initiative, which based itself in Alabama. And so it ties his nonfiction into his own personal narrative story of him starting it up. It ties in and focuses one main narrative of Walter McMillan, who was a black man wrongfully accused of an infamous small town murder of a white teen girl. It's sort of a case study to which the study of prejudices and injustices lurk behind death row. But there's also other experiences that are discussed inside the book about atrocities within the prison system, like individuals convicted to life without parole when they were just 14 13, or even 12 years old and treated as an adult in the judicial system. Uh, there are small side stories about female prisoners who are sexually assaulted by prison guards and also inmates with mental illnesses who are denied the proper treatment and rehabilitation. There is a note that over 50% of prison and jail inmates in the U.S. have a diagnosed mental illness, which is a huge number. Those are a little bit more actual breakdown of uh, the book itself. This is a young adult, young readers edition. The question was asked on Goodreads, what's the difference? Other readers, because I haven't read the adult book, I often tend to read the young adult, young readers edition because that's the edition I'm going to hand to my audience of kids and teens. So I want to know what the actual content is of what I'm recommending, but I do like to know the differences. So people say there's about 55 pages of text that was removed. The young adult reader version moves a little more quickly and is a little less dense. It leaves out background details that are less likely to interest teens. Mm -hmm. So they're making choices. Both versions are very well written. The teen version is an easier read, but doesn't leave anything essential out, according to one person's answer, of the main story. But there are some other sub-stories that were cut due to maybe the violence. I think that one person mentioned the actual more details were put in about the electrocution of someone that uh, Walter observed when he was on death row and the impact on him. So it ties to the story, but they cut that out. You still feel very emotionally connected to the main character mm -hmm. narrative of Walter. The author didn't deal, uh, did not avoid dealing with difficult topics like rape in prison and sexual abuse um, in the prison and not. Readers will feel things. I, you know, you feel things. I was trying to describe this to my coworkers because we share what we're reading. And a lot of them kind of were like, oh, and like, it sounded like they didn't want to read it, but I tried to convey the tone of this book book is very positive and hopeful in spite of the very sad 
and stories that you know are out there and facing a, a judicial system that just seems to trap you and not want to let you out. Like you were convicted as guilty, you can't get out. So you can be moved, you could be disturbed, you'll be angry, you'll be hopeful, and hopefully you'll be motivated to change and help make change or what some reviewers kind of write. A lot of reviewers want teachers and librarians to read it and encourage their teens to read it, saying it might be the most important book that they read or a book that opens their eyes. So I think the American, I don't have facts, so I'm going to state here, the American United States justice system is very much into like not rehabilitation so much as lock you away in prison as a business that is touched upon in this book, but not fully explored in this version. But it's a thing. And especially with our the Black Lives Matter movement um, and becoming more aware, not just with Black lives outside of prison and jail, but focusing on a system that traps them in their system. And Walter's story, you just have to know what happens. And I don't want to spoil anything that happens. So anyone could just Google it and find out what happened. But the fact is that a man had a relation, Walter had a relationship, extramarital affair with a white woman, nothing to do with this murder. And then white man who got involved with the white woman that Walter was involved with made up a story to say he was the guy that did this murder of this teen girl. And the police were looked at negatively because they couldn't find the killer they couldn't find the killer and so they're like great we have this person thing they've they were able to get other people's corroboration and even though this black man that had his own business and his family and there was a family event a fundraiser a fish fry where there was like 12 different church members and family members that could attest that he was there at the time of the murder he was still found guilty and sentenced sentenced to death row for something and it took years of work by this uh, lawyer to try and take that back years of work and, and being stopped along the way. And there's so many ways that it was, it was so astounding. I know there's so many stories that are just like this, but probably taking, by looking at one, you really get to go on that journey together. So it was very moving. I felt hopeful by knowing the system is broken and, and trying to having this book and trying to reach people that, the tone was hopeful, not hopeless. It's a book called Just Mercy, and he really tries to get through to the reader um, to question things, to try and make us change our perspective. And there's a couple quotes I'd like to read. I know, reading quotes. But to make us seem more human. Like on page 17, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. I am persuaded that the opposite of poverty is not wealth. The opposite of poverty is justice. Finally, I've come to believe that the true measure of our commitment to justice, fairness, and equality cannot be measured by how we treat the rich, the respected, and the privileged among us. The true measure of our character is how we treat the poor, the disfavored, the accused, the incarcerated, and the condemned. Another quote that I thought was very impactful is 247, page. Of course, innocent mistakes occur, but constantly being underestimated, suspected, accused, watched, doubted, distrusted, presumed guilty, and even feared is a burden borne by people of color that can't be understood or confronted without a deeper conversation about our history of racial injustice. So should you read this book? Yes, I definitely think you should read this book. And saying all that, who should the reader be? I think as young as grade seven could read it. Um some say grade nine. I think a common answer would be like you could say grade eight. But again, if you have that reader who's interested, um, this is a good book for them. This book that I had actually had the movie cover on it. Um, but the Young Readers Edition came out in September of 2019. The movie edition came later. Have I seen the movie? No. I like 
to consume my stories in books, which is a different format, but I appreciate that it's out there for people to maybe consume in a different way, though I'm sure they took changes and of the story and this and that as movies are wont to do. So a very good, very impactful story that feels very of the time now, even though this was written about a period in the 80s, the 1980s. Yeah, so I'm from Georgia, so I remember hearing about this in the news like forever. <laughs> I totally agree that more types of books like this uh, should be available for younger readers. And I totally understand like cutting mm-hmm. some of the stuff out just because it's a lot. But also, I mean, we just did the mm-hmm. same thing with Stamped, too, that just came out with uh, the Jason Reynolds um, uh, collaboration with the author of that book. And um, no, I think that's great because uh, I think we have more kids that are interested in these types of stories. And, you know, I grew up in the South and I was the kind of kid that was like, oh, I don't know something. I'll just go look into it. I totally understand like people not having as much about like knowing and so much everything today is like i mean history's like this anyway but like you know if it didn't happen five minutes ago did it happen to you you know so much of our our nation's history if it whoever it's being written by usually straight white men you know you don't get the whole story so i think supplemental texts like this are like incredibly important to actually show here's what happened and here's what racial bias looks like and we need to talk about this and then how is it affecting You know, our criminal justice system is completely whacked and wrong on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's it's the thing that needs to be talked about. So, I mean, we have so many young people that you and I both know that want to be activists. And it's like, well, here's a start. Like, you do your homework, you do your research, and you start writing letters. You start writing emails. You start organizing. And I think this is a great gateway to that. It is. Now, and I, even though this is set in the 1980s and some people might not feel a connection with that, like a teen reader, I still think it's necessary to read if they want a more modern take on this. Not well, the 1980s isn't penalty. that long ago. Um, and today in Mobile, Alabama, and it the story isn't that out of line, right? Like, it's, it's not. Like, so... We had Emmett Till hanged in 1955. We had George Floyd killed by the police uh, in 2020. Like, this still happens. Granted, Emmett Till wasn't killed by the police. But this stuff still happens. It's still incredibly relevant. And the fact that it happened in the 1980s, and it's not like a historical case like we're talking about from like, oh, this happened in 1875. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's even more relevant that we haven't changed anything for the positive yet. Yes, it's sad. If you want a modern take that also ties in more LGBTQIA themes, I'd recommend for teen readers the nonfiction book, The 57 Bus, A True Story of Two Teenagers and the Crime That Changed Their Lives. Did we we review that last time we talked before? I I mentioned it before. um, It's a great book. I love it so much. Um, It is. So just because I feel like if someone's on... We're doing nonfiction today. If someone reads a nonfiction, if they don't want to carry on with the same same exact topic of, oh, I don't want to read the other Kent State book. I want to read one. They want to read to the side, like read likes in that, hey, these are all books that you want to get into on the same kind of topic. So again, like you said, educate yourself. Um, it's it's one black teen and one teen uh, that dressed as they felt they should, that was dressed presenting as a, a girl and two teens on a bus and one lighter and both their lives were changed. And that book gets into the criminal justice system for a teenager. So again, exploring the same kind of things 
and, and also still complex and, and people come in to all these stories with their own backgrounds, their own histories, their own familiarity with, with jail and prison or lack thereof, depending on their experience and their privilege. And I fully admit that I, as a white cisgendered woman, do not have the same story and narrative as someone of color or someone who deals with this, all that, but it's still good to read and understand and to learn and, and try to promote it in what ways I can trying to be an ally and trying to do good. So I love that this book is out there and I, and I hope people might. I have so. Read I want to read it um, now. It's good. It's very readable. I listened to the audiobook and I thought it was quite good because uh, if a terrible narrator of an audiobook makes you want to turn it off, that was not the case in this story. It was a very good listen. So I did write enjoy it. So that was that's my nonfiction mm-hmm. matching your nonfiction, Mary. Do you want to turn well, what other book did you talk well, about or want October, to talk about this week? And I mean granted I read this not in October, mm-hmm. but all of the spoopy books are coming out or they started coming out in like what August, I think, is when, like, late August as they start, like, rolling out the, the presses. And so we got a, a bunch of books mm-hmm. in. I don't order the YA books. Uh, my uh, co-worker who's head of children's orders the YA books. And so I was walking by and I was like, what is this? And she's like, oh, that looks terrifying. That's for you, not for me. And I was like, okay. Because um, I like <laughs> to read the spooky books. No, Mary, you you have to define for our listeners, what is spoopy? S-P-O-O-P-Y. So it just showed up on the internet however many years ago. And it just means like spooky or like Halloween. So like, you know, oh, it's the spoops or it's spoopy time. Uh, you know, it's it's October. It's the time <laughs> we all change our uh, Twitter handles to be like some type of spoopy name. Um, so, Yeah. Uh, I will not share mine this year because I have not done one. Uh, but yeah, so it's anyway, <laughs> so this book is like has a great cover. So it's like black and white, and there's a girl that her face is out of focus. And she's standing in front of a lake, and then it says Harrow Lake in like gold, like kind of like goldish letters in, you know, by Cat Ellis. So the book I read is Harrow Lake by Cat Ellis. I'll read the publisher description. Uh, Lola Knox is the daughter of a celebrated horror filmmaker. She thinks nothing can scare her. But when her father is brutally attacked in their New York apartment, she's quickly packed off to live with a grandmother she's never met in Harrow Lake, the eerie town where her father's most iconic horror movie was shot. The locals are weirdly obsessed with the film that put their town on the map and their strange disappearances, which the police seem determined to explain away. And there's someone or something stalking her every move. Um, The more Lola discovers about the town, the more... terrifying it becomes because Lola got secrets of her own and if she can't find a way out of Harrow Lake they might just be the death of her so when I first read this I was like oh this is like the second YA book I've read where there's a kid that's the 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 kid their parent is a horror movie director because there's another one called Scream All Night that is hilarious Cause like the dad is like a film director for like what would be assumed like, like the old hammer horror films from the seventies. Like, so they're real like over the top (laughs) and he's created this whole persona and he dies and the kid ends up having to like deal with the estate and his like uh, off balance older brother and like all of this weird stuff that's happening. And it's just like, he's like, I just wanted to go to school. Uh, Harrow Lake is different though, because in Harrow Lake uh, the, the dad is really controlling um, and so it's all told through mm-hmm. Lola's first person perspective and she's been watching horror movies for years and um, also you find out that her mother just left like you don't you don't know the story so part of the book okay. is getting the story um, 
And the mother was the ingenue in the really famous horror movie. Yeah, so she was like hmm. maybe 18 when the dad married her. So I kept giving me like, I was like, the dad is giving me Roland Polanski vibes, which is ar- already horrifying because right? he's a piece of work. You know, and then the way that they, she talks about the film for Harrow Lake, that's this iconic horror movie that like it, it reminded me of the way people talk about Polanski's Rosemary's Baby, right? Uh, and so it has like that mm-hmm, weird, mm-hmm. like really kind of like, stylized thing but the weird thing about harrow lake is so harrow lake was a mining town let me get back to the story she finds her dad he's been brutally attacked and like his assistant who she hates who's a real jerk is just like well your dad is still in critical condition and you can't stay by yourself so you're sending you to be for grandmother and she's like what i have a grandmother that's still alive i did i don't know any of that because the dad doesn't talk about the mom he just doesn't. He's like, well, she left you. So that's all there is to it. Lola is kind of like still like, okay. Because she left when Lola was around five or six, I believe. Still young enough to remember, but those mm-hmm. memories to not be something that she always trusts, if that makes any sense. So she gets to stay with the yeah. grandmother. And so Harrow Lake is this town that was built like a, it's a mining town. And then some mining stuff like went real bad. And there have been like uh, the the ground will like literally collapse in places like sinkholes and just will take you under and all this stuff. It's just not stable because of all of these bad (laughs) mining decisions. Part of the reason why her dad did the movie there is because it's like it was stuck in the 1920s when he filmed it. Like everybody still wears the same old clothes. It's just real creepy, right? Because like that's that's one of the horror tropes. People who are out of place, right? Like you live in the modern time. Like the minute she gets there, her suitcases like were stolen and her grandmother's like, I don't know what happened to it. And she's Hmm. like, you took my suitcase. So she didn't have to wear her mom's old clothes, (laughs) which is creepy right and she looks a lot like her mom and so at some point the grandmother starts calling her the mother's name and she's like that's my mother that's not me and her mom and grandmother's also like real mm-hmm. kind of has this whole like you know oh don't be you shouldn't be seen out with those with that boy because of course like i can't remember the kid's name but she makes <laughs> friends with this kid uh who does like odd jobs and stuff and um like the whole town has not changed at all since the filming of the movie because now this is how they make their tourism money they have a huge festival there was an amusement park scene in the horror film right and so the amusement park is like 1920s old style because that's the other thing is that the dad is obsessed with like 1920s like art nouveau and all that kind of stuff you get this feeling that he's just making the same movie over and over again in a different way like she of course sneaks into like the amusement park and she can't feel like people are following her all the time and it's just really weird and then also one of the creepy things is like when she goes into her mom's room where she's staying there are these little wooden beetle type things but when you push them it has a hidden compartment and the wings fly and they jitter yeah and there's this whole story about Ooh. how well you better not let us you can better not stay out at night because mr jitters will catch you right and then there's like Ooh, other creepy like things that. like she accidentally gets lost trying to get home and the sun sets and so she kind of walks around in circles and whatnot and she finds this tree and she drops her cell phone in this hole and she's like, damn it. And so she's trying to get her cell phone out. And of course, the cell phone that the um, assistant to the dad gives her is a flip phone type thing. And But it's her only link with her dad. And she keeps trying to, she still has to talk to her dad the whole time. And so as she's going through all this, like, she's getting more paranoid and more paranoid. And this tree, she looks up and she realizes it. It's called, the, the locals call it the bone tree. It has tons of teeth 
tied to the tree because the idea is if you sacrifice like your tooth or something and you tie it to the tree mr jitters won't come get you because he's already got a piece of you right so that's creepy so part of this book is also kind of like a thriller mystery trying to figure out what happened to her mom and i'm not going to reveal that because it's too good Uh, but it also deals a lot with like childhood Mm -hmm. and like family trauma as well as parental abuse of children so i will say there's a trigger for that if people have that in their life and they don't want to read books like that don't read harrow lake um so because like as you're reading it you're like oh dude your dad is totally emotionally abusive to you and she doesn't figure it doesn't feel like that because she's also the victim so she always excuses it um she hasn't come to that thing so but yeah it is like a creepy book like i read it at night and i was like oh i'm so scared uh, i don't know how i'm gonna deal with this and like the, <laughs> the she's great at describing like uh mr jitters and like the creeping and all this kind of stuff and it's just like it's just real creepy but also like one of the things i totally do jive on is like watching a horror movie that's kind of like time out of place because that also it just makes it spookier right it's so creepy yeah. it's so good it's a pretty fast read too because like once it you once you click into it because when you first start reading it she's in new york city and you're kind of like what but then like once she gets into her lake you kind of don't want to stop because you're like what is all of this you know and she's walking around in her dead mother's clothes from the movie that she was in and it turns out there are people in town that hate her mother or like her mother and so it's just all this like all these like creepy like you know there's an older guy that's like oh if your mom had stayed in Harrow lake i'd have been your daddy and he kind of like leers at her yeah and you're just like what is this this is not cool and the whole time she's like i should probably leave this town but there's no way to get out (laughs) i appreciate her having the thought with the clear concise moment of clarity where like i should get out of this terrible situation but you're still a character in a book so you can't but i appreciate the author giving her right and one of the the doubt that she is right and then one of the things that's great about it is like she's a kid that's grown up watching horror movies her whole entire life she's so much smarter than everybody with this right she's so much smarter she would never fall into any of these traps and you're just like oh oh dear the hubris you just you just put out until the world's gonna come back on the tenfold (laughs) yeah but no it was like a really really creepy book so that was my read I totally recommend it. Um, I was the whole time I was reading it. I was like, "Oh, I know three people I would give this book to." It's great. It is totally like the young adult book that like adults want to read too. If that makes any sense, because we have adult readers who are like reading the YA. Like Harold yeah. Lake's a great one, and the cover is so great too. Like, like I was just like when we took it out of the box, I was like, "I want to read this." My coworker was like, "Of course you do." So I was like, I think I picked up this one, and I also picked up like Clowns in the Cornfield, and I was like, "I want this one too." And she was like, "Of course you do." But I don't have that one yet because it was still in processing <laughs> when I picked this one off. But yeah. So yes, five stars would read again. Okay. Love it. Again, we're still in the month of spoopy. So let's celebrate it up, which actually ties me to my book. I heard you were picking like a horror, scary slasher, which, ooh, so that is for how young oh, could read that, um, honestly? Harold Lake. School library journal says grade nine and up, but I feel like you could totally give it to an eighth grader. I know I said that all the time, but I know a lot of eighth graders that are like reading up into high school anyway, and like they would be fine with it. But again, like I said, there are some triggers for like child abuse. So that is a thing. Yeah. Like I don't want to go into much of it, but like if that is a trigger for you of like child abuse, like don't do this book. Like read no, something else. No, don't do this book. No, but like the, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, nine and up probably, but is what SLJ says, but I think an older eighth grader could read it. If you had a younger, I would say no, but every kid is a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
See, I totally get that. Like when I do book talks in the middle school, if it's like grades not enough and I think, well, an eighth grader could handle it, but I'm talking to seventh graders. I'm like, nah, but that individual kid can yeah, totally find that's it. What that's what I'm saying. Oh, I've never I totally get it. Yes. Yeah. The general seventh grader versus, oh, that very specific person, X, Y, Z. Oh my God. They would love this book because everybody's different and what they can handle. And you, and and I love that we get to know our readers so much. I'm like, oh, this is totally a so-and-so book. And that's a so-and-so book. And I'm, and I'm sure that your coworker saw that and was like, that's a Mary book. So it works out. So what did you read? Yes. That my book has a little bit of the same, what grade is it for? And we'll talk about it. So this book is speculative fiction. Isn't that just a is fancy awesome. word it for fantasy? It is a way. E-L- it really is. But everyone kept saying it. I'm like, well, then I guess I have to say it. But we'll go into why. So it's a Latsoe, E-L-A-T-S-O-E by Darcy Little Badger is the author. And uh, it has illustrations by Rovina Kai, which are amazing. They are actually reminded me of like the beginning chapter uh, pictures of like Harry Potter, not in the exact art style, but in setting the mood and the tone. And <gasps> by the way, her Instagram is uh, Rovina, R-O-V-I-N-A, Kai, C-A-I. You have to go check out her artwork. It's She has so much work from this book. So if I can't sell it to you in this podcast, please go check out her artwork. It's beautiful. Let's focus it back. The publisher summary on this book, I'm going to read it, but then I, I also augmented it a little bit because I can't help myself. Imagine an America very similar to our own. It's got homework, best friends, and pistachio ice cream. There are some differences. This America has been shaped dramatically by the magic, monsters, knowledge, and legends of its people, those indigenous and those not. Some of these forces are charmingly every day, like the ability to make an orb of light appear or travel across the world through rings of fungi. But other forces are less charming and should never see the light of day. Alatsue, Ellie, lives in this slightly stranger America. She can raise the ghosts of dead animals, a skill passed down through generations of her Lapan Apache family. Her beloved cousin has just been murdered in a suspicious hit-and-run car accident, leaving behind a grieving widow and an infant. But when the ghost of her cousin visits her in a dream, she knows for sure that there was foul play. The town where it happens wants no prying eyes, but Ellie is going to do more than pry. The picture-perfect facade of the town of Willoughby makes gruesome or masks gruesome secrets. Ellie is going to rely on her wits, skills, and her friends to tear off that mask and protect her family. This book has everything. It's a world similar to our own, but it's shaped by magic. If there's fairies, there's vampires. If if a belief or mythology system of people, if they believed in it, they exist. And they all kind of coexist in this weird, fun way. But it's still our world, which is, and I think it's done really well in the whole world building. Did you believe it? Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Were you able to understand it from the beginning? I say yes. I will say the publisher of this book is Levin Carrito. Their mission is to give voice to uniquely talented, exceptionally diverse group of authors and artists whose books will inspire a love, a true love of reading and young people while offering them a sense of their and others' rightful place in the world. They're very all about own voices of all different ages. And saying that, um, this is an own voices book by Darcy Little Badger, who is a Lapan Apache, also an own voices in that the main nice. character is asexual and so is the author. 
right? Is it made a big deal about? No, which is really nice. In some of the Goodreads reviews, it's not mentioned in the book if Ellie is also a romantic, but there is little opportunity or focus on romance in this book. But the readers, reviewers are inferring that it might also be. But it's just nice in a book not to have a romance subplot because sometimes you're like, oh my God, this murder happened. Oh wait, there's a subplot romance between this boy and that boy. It's a great story. Also, if you're a dog lover, she has a loyal pet dog, Kirby, who passed away. But since she has this unique ability um, that she and her six times great grandmother who has passed away and they don't really name names. So that's why she's six great or, you know, great grandmother, six great. Her dog is her ghost dog. He follows her through thick and thin. And that takes your heart through all the feels. This book has an emphasis on storytelling and tradition in not just the indigenous people of the Lapan Apache's culture, but just other stories. Life lessons are hidden in talks with her parents, um, stories about her sixth great grandmother who had the same power as Ellie. She raised a woolly mammoth you know, as her kind of dog companion, and she went on a love adventure. So it kind of has a little bit of that Rick Reardon um, kind of tradition in it, but it's not a Rick Reardon presents, and I don't say that in a negative way. It just has that belief system of the people, and it's woven throughout in a balanced and equal way and respectful way, but there's also a world with magic vampires and ghosts. I'm here for it. But you believe it, and I believe it. Cover doesn't look particularly old teen i think it could appeal it looks like it could appeal down to middle grade when i first saw it i'm like oh is this for middle grade i first heard about it at the um the book buzz for book expo that they had online this year and actually the publisher was kind enough to send me an advanced reader copy which i loved but it's just really good like i think i think that it could be for as young as grade seven. And I know we say that a lot of, is it grade seven, grade nine? Because people tend to say, is it grade seven and up or grade nine and up? I think you could easily do grade eight. I think you do grade seven. Yes, there is a murder of a cousin, um, but we explore it. It's not, you know, sensational, but like so many kids in middle grade books have murder in it. Even like Stuart Gibbs space case where it's like, I'm on a space station on the moon. Oh wait, a lab scientist gets murdered in the beginning or we they don't think it's yeah. murder, but he knows it is. You know what I mean? Like so murder happens or death happens and why not explore it in this different way? And this is well balanced. It's just really good. And this book deals with racism. She deals with it for Ellie. She deals with white men who think they're better than everyone else. That's something you know, that's not weird. just in the world of fiction. But it also, yeah, that's a mood. But it also combines dark magical secrets and mysteries to unravel. And But it still has a lighthearted element with amazing secondary characters. Um, her best friend, Jay, you will stand for. Um, she has parents. She actually talks to her parents. I know in a lot of plot telling devices, we have to have parents that are absent or dead or checked out, but her parents are actually parents. Like you actually, they actually are present. Like her mom goes to live with her cousin's widow and help with the baby. And then her dad decides, yeah, we should, we should, you know, once she gets this ghost dream, let's go, I'm going to drop you off so you can help him out, which, again, it doesn't happen in her own town. So it's that kind of supportiveness. I believe in your, I know your powers. I believe in it. And let's, you know, supportive of, of your endeavor, which is amazing. I just really like the book. I'm trying to recommend it and, and word of mouth, talk it up at book talks for my teens. Cause I think it is a really good balance of that kind of scary murder mystery fantasy element set in a fairly contemporary world. And there's, but it also, 
is very respectful of the Lipan Apache, their traditions. And even cooler, this is a sub weird story, is that I read, a, I watched a couple reviews on YouTube and uh, the publisher Levin Carrito really made a point to send this book to indigenous book reviewers, even though not all of them were Lipan Apache. They were of different tribes, but they, it's really part of their mission and they actually back it up and believe in it. So they're like walking the walk. And I, I do appreciate that we can have not just a sorrow book about based on a, on a, something that happened or a realistic book is that you can go into the world of fantasy and still honor these traditions and storytelling and have it be a good story and have ace representation and have it be mm-hmm. a debut book, which is even better for her first work. So I have all the feels for this book and I hope everybody reads it. Yes. So Marissa, right? I have a question for you this week. How do you feel yes. about yes. books that have movies that are made from them? And then the book is now republished with the movie poster as the cover. I have a lot of feelings. Pre-library career, I worked for many years as a kids manager in a Barnes & Noble. From the selling viewpoint, I get it. If you put a movie cover on there, the benefits of it, you put a movie cover on there and it's going to sell the book. Even if it's an old classic that's been around for years and it's gone through 20 different covers, they're like, oh, I definitely have to sell this. And yes, there'll be other stupid other merchandise, especially if it's a kid's book around movie Christmas time. Um, the Golden Compass, that was a big flop as a movie, but we had every Christmas ornament and everything ever to sell. And ugh, I'm still scarred from that. So I have feelings negatively on that, but it will get people to read it. I super hate movie novelizations of books like Kate DiCamillo's A Tale of Desperate. I'm still uh, mad about because there's original book by Kate DiCamillo and then the movie came out and then they made a movie novelization about the story of the movie based on the book. Yeah, I totally understand that. However, I do like, okay, this is a, a random story that you might appreciate. I had parents that wouldn't let me watch a lot of movies because of like whatever. Like I wasn't allowed to watch like PG-13 movies for like ever, right? So I couldn't watch Space Camp and I was an 80s kid (laughs) and it was like before Challenger blew up. So everybody had like space like madness right like space 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 everything was about space um like there was so much curriculum about it like space and so like i wanted to watch space camp i could not watch space camp so instead it's classic book fair i bought the movie novelization of space camp and so that's how i lived my life i would just buy the movie (laughs) novelizations at the scholastic book fair but yeah i think there is something to be said about that like like why would you make a novelization like that's that's like so that's like you took it and you put it in a meat grinder and then you made a different thing out of it like it's so weird it's weird now in the context of library world how do you feel about movie covers because when you're a bookstore you have books that come and go there's a backlist that you yeah we have one copy of this but when you have movie covers it's a promotion you're going to sell it you're trying to make that buck and in books titles will sell again they it does happen and that's the point of it but you're also hopefully getting people to read it and that's the main point of it for for us but for a library it's a question we have to ask ourselves. We have limited budgets. We have limited money. We People have limited time and attention with their eyeballs. And if they're like, oh, oh, I know that person from Netflix. I want to get that book. I want to do that thing. And it, it can work positively to make them pick up that book that they could have picked up on their own and would have probably appealed to them with a different cover. But it got them. And But then I have conflicted feelings about, well, now I have a movie cover 
of a book in my collection, air quote, forever until it gets weeded or discarded due to like condition because I loved it too much. And maybe in that first year or so, you have a good grace period. Like even Jenny Hans to all the boys I've loved before. It's a great original cover. It's a, I still like the Netflix cover. But 10 years from now, if I still have that copy somehow, won't it look dated? Won't it look weird? And it's kind of like, oh, you got a movie cover of Percy Jackson. You got a movie cover of whatever. Like it looks dated, though. I totally get the weird thing of um, this is back to my 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 bookstore days. Is that because of Twilight and whether um, Wuthering Heights was their favorite book? So Wuthering Heights and other Bronte classics got twilight s covers and those books were selling and i was conflicted as a person even though it was good for sales and it made people read classics that was good and a classic cover has gone through how many hundreds of covers but it was just that cover and it was billed there was a whole note on the cover of wuthering heights with its little black and white red motif that says bella and edward's <laughs> favorite book and that's what annoyed me for the longevity because I don't think the Brontes really planned on a vampire helping sell their books no. so <laughs> many years in the future. But it worked. And, it, and if you, especially the case of the classics, trying to modernize it or update it, and a cover does matter. But it, in a library setting, it's, it's a choice we have to make. <sighs> and it's a choice you kind of walk. And I feel like you're one way or another. I'm looking in Amazon mm. right now about two books. Because I have two answers for two different books. Um because it depends. It depends on the co- it depends on the original cover. Because if the original cover is good, I will go with it. But if it's not, or like it's not that different, like I don't okay. care. I guess I would say. For example, the one mm-hmm. where I don't care is Simon versus the Homo Sapiens agenda. Because I also feel like Love Simon is a better movie than the book. And I'm watching all everybody like clutch their pearls in like <laughs> LGBT like Twitter bookland. But like. I'm just like, it's for me, like, it's, it's fine. It's a fine book. Uh, It always is read to me as like a book you give to straight people who are like, I don't really know about this LGBT thing. I'm like, here, read this. It's fine. It's fine. But like the cover for the, um, is the movie poster for Simon versus Homo sapiens for Love, Simon. And I think that one is actually kind of like better for that one because like that movie was so big and there's so many kids that maybe aren't the biggest readers, but they're like, oh, oh, I want to read that book now. Like they'll go, they'll actually go do that, right? So that's great. So and then there's another book, there's another one that I feel the opposite of way. It's funny, these are both LGBT books. Is the miseducation of Cameron Post. <laughs> So I love this education of Cameron Post. It is a sad, sad book. It is so good. Um, I love it so much. But I know I've talked about it before. And it's not, I would say, one of the more popular books, but it definitely is in that class of books that came out, like with you know, when David Leviathan was doing uh, Two Boys Kissing and Boy Meets Boy and like the early Nina Court. Like it's all, they're all in the same, like, you know, 2010 20 the 2012 like we're putting out a bunch of stuff that wouldn't have come out like 10 years ago and so when you look at the original cover it's like somewhere in the midwest probably and there's a girl on a hay bale and she's just laying on the hay bale like maybe like reading a book or something and like the cover just says something about like this girl is alone and she's isolated and she has no one and that is the book man that is the book it is so good because it's a kid that has like her parents have died she's living with her aunt who all of a sudden finds jesus so that is complicated right she can't come out yet she knows Mm -hmm. she's gay she falls in love with like the the hot it girl who also is up on a farm grows up on a farm and has like cattle and whatnot and then she gets sent conversion camp 
right? And so the conversion camp part of the book is the last half of Ooh. the book. So the movie came out and I actually haven't seen it yet, but from everything I've seen from the trailers, the movie is more about her being in the conversion uh, therapy place, which we all know does not work, as opposed to the other part leading okay. up to it, mm-hmm. which is kind of a shame because there's a lot of stuff that happened. But, you know, in a lot of ways, books, it's a book about a kid's life. And so, you know, you may not think the plot's going anywhere and then all of a sudden things just start moving. But the, the movie poster is like her and the two other kids mm-hmm. from the conversion camp in the back of a truck. And that's that doesn't really tell you anything about that. Whereas like the other one is like, oh, this is going to be a book about a lonely girl. Yes, that tells me something. The Kindle one, I'm just kind of like, oh, it's the movie poster. Okay, sure. But it's that's how I feel about it. It's just sometimes it depends. Like you're right. Like I'm not as crazy about getting the movie posters of the Percy Jackson books versus the actual just regular illustrator who did the Percy Jackson covers, which are awesome. So it really does vary book by book. And like the only reason I brought yeah. up this education of Cameron Post is because me and my coworker went back and forth on it. She's like, oh, I hate that cover. And I'm just like, no, but you never read the book. This is totally, this is the book. She's like, who's going to pick up that book? I'm like, it's a very stylized cover, but it's just everybody has a different taste. And I totally get that. But I also don't see that much of a difference yeah. between uh, two other boys I've loved before. I don't know if I've seen the the newer cover for it. That cover also is great. It looks so close. Yes, it look it looks very close to all the boys I loved before original cover. These are these are ones like I it, either or are fine. They're fine. But it does have a Netflix on it. Thirteen um, reasons why, or other things that say the movie coming to theater soon or upcoming Netflix thing. That's the only thing that could like, if the cover is like this, oh, it's not terrible, but it doesn't make it evergreen so that down the road, you know, when you're like, oh, upcoming movie, oh, that came out five years ago. That was a terrible movie. More thinking about the Percy Jackson movies. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like, does Percy Jackson need a movie cover? No. Love Simon or to all the boys I've loved before. Like they've, they've all seen the movie or the Netflix movie and they're going to be like, oh yeah, I'll read this now. Oh, oh, there's more books in the series sure i'll read them because i now have experience with this one thing and the poster is tying me to that experience so there's good and bad but we're taking an approach of it from as my former life of a bookseller and the annoyance and then get get that money and then now as a library you're making decisions for air quote forever it's your forever copy right. versus- like maybe we don't have that book and then the only mm-hmm. option for that book cover now because the old one's out of print mm-hmm. is the movie cover so that is now our forever book whether we like it or not yeah. we are stuck my friend which could be fine or it could be like yeah. okay and even in like the book, um, Let It Snow with multiple authors, we had a copy of the book, I think in hardcover when it first came out. Then we got, it came out, there was a movie attached cover, highlighted once John Green got so big. Like, oh my God. So there's a different cover emphasizing John Green. So it was brand new and like a week old and somehow someone checked it out and like returned it with like a big old bite out of the front, like maybe two inches at the bottom. And I was like, no, this book is too new and so i put like clear tape uh, no, to make a cover on the bottom yes it happened. i'm sorry about it um <laughs> so we still have that one because because it's you're like but it's fine except for this one thing so look so it looks like let it snow has a weird bite out of it and since we've gotten other cop more evergreen copies but it's just funny the evolution of like oh the hardcover the paperback and we're not even getting into changing the cover from the paperback and the hardcover that's a whole different thing but even the book i talked about today just mercy the cover that was on overdrive which is the version i listened to 
was the Michael B. Jordan face all over the cover, which I'm not complaining about, but I don't know that I needed Michael B. Jordan's face because it doesn't tell me it's just a man in a suit. You know what I mean? Like it just says just mercy. So I, mean, I knew backstory about Killmonger. it. But that didn't sell that me on it. would get me to pick uh, it up. <laughs> no, but he's not like it'd be like, oh, the dude that played Killmonger, like oh, must have done a movie true. with I will pick this up and read it. Like I'm conflicted. I feel conflicted. I, I love the positive benefits of a movie cover, but I have feelings about when the buzz is over in the years that come. I'm more likely to discard the movie cover than a more evergreen cover like in the years later. And maybe that one got all the brunt of the love and, you know, will I, will I probably rebuy it? No, no one should rebuy an old movie cover unless like you, the difference of the price is so big. That's cool. It's just weird. Thank you for listening. Yeah. So we'll Mm -hmm. see you next time on the book jam. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at the book jam one. And if you listen to us on the Apple iPod, iTunes, whatnots and Stitcher, please rate us. Hopefully positively. Only if you like us. If you don't like us, we didn't tell you anything. We don't have an official Instagram account, but I have one for my teens at my library, which is called Avon Library Teens. Feel free to check that uh, out. Yeah, Maybe I know your library, library has library. Instagram um, that you, yep, you post Craig about. Library. Uh, that is what we are. There we post that on our Facebook pages as well. Exactly. You can listen to us on Anchor, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Spotify. Check out any one of those good things, but listen to us. We'd love to hear from you. Feel free to tweet at us, like Mary said, at the book jam and then the number one. Bye. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. On the book jam. You just got jammed. <laughs>